So we are at the end of the journey of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're new with us, you're only 22 weeks behind. It's all on the website, so you can get caught up by next week. We have spent quite a bit of time digging in to what I believe is the most wonderful powerful, hopeful, life-giving, visionary manifesto for life that any teacher, preacher, leader, general, top dog, top guy, top lady, boss man, anyone who's ever been an influencer in the world that has had a message of Here's the good life. Here's the abundant life. Here's what life's all about. Here's how you should live life. Here's why you should live life in such and such a manner. No one compares to the vision of Jesus. Now we have four gospels to see his life, his doings, his teachings, his miracles, his power, his authority. And we have... The whole New Testament that is reflecting on that, trying to, in a sense, make sense of, wow, what just happened? (laughs) God came to earth, the Son of God, lived the perfect life, died on our behalf, rose from the dead and proved it all. And they reflect on that. And we got the whole Old Testament building up to it, building up to the need for the Savior, the plan of salvation. And all of that, I believe, can be honed in to this focus on Matthew chapter 5 through 7, where we have Jesus' longest sermon, and he gives, in a really, in the big picture, a short, succinct vision for life. The vision of the kingdom of God. As it already is in heaven, so also on earth. The vision for your abundant life that's possible when you allow Jesus to reign as king, when you follow him as master. And so we've seen over these last weeks, number of weeks and months, Jesus paint this picture of the kind of abundant life that's possible, and now we're at the end, and here's his altar call. Let's check it out. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What is your next step 
in following Jesus? That's the question for the rest of life. It's just take one step. It's always one step. That's what a follower of Jesus does, and Jesus is calling us to action. The one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the one who builds their life on the rock. What is the next step in your life of following Jesus? That's what it's always about for the rest of your life. Until Jesus returns or takes you home, that's what it's always about. What's the next step of following Jesus? That's what a disciple does. A disciple means a learner, an apprentice. There's always something, if we're acting as a disciple, that we should be learning, apprenticing under the lordship of Jesus as our master of the abundant life. If we're not learning, if we're not transforming, if we're not apprenticing in the current right now reality of our life, we're not acting like a disciple. Jesus is inviting us to take the next step on the journey of following him as the master of the abundant life. But it's a perpetual next step. It's a continuous next step. We never arrive in this life. We never arrive in this life because we never become fully like the master in this life. And that is not meant to disparage anyone. It's meant to give us hope that my life is always going to get better because God's not done with me. There's more that I get to follow and become like Jesus. That's good news. Because to the degree I become more like Jesus, my life gets better. Yeah. I will live more in the abundant life. That's why there's this phrase we like to say, the best is yet to come. That is an awesome declaration and promise to hold on to as the built on the rock the rock-solid hope for our future is that the best is yet to come. Follow me on this. To not believe this, I believe, reveals that our vision for life is dependent upon circumstances going your way, which is the exact opposite of the context of what Jesus says the abundant life is all about. The invitation from Jesus defines the abundant life as knowing God, we've talked about this for a number of weeks, and becoming like Christ, and so that regardless of or in the midst of the storms of life, we become a house built on a rock. That rock is Jesus. He said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the one who builds their life on the rock. He's the rock. His vision for life, his teaching, his practices, his ways, all of which, as we've looked at extensively, are meant to be the conduit through which we know him more and become like him more. 
And so, the abundant life is defined by Jesus as the degree to which we know God and have been transformed to be like Jesus. And check this out. And it's not by finally achieving the set of circumstances that sound good or comfortable. The abundant life is achieved. Our life is built on the rock, and in, look at what happens, Jesus describes it, in the midst of the storm, you're thriving. It's not that, oh, now the circumstances have gotten so comfortable now, my life is abundant. Jesus does not promise that. In fact, in other places, he says the opposite. Right? You will have troubles in this world. If they hated you, if they hated me, they're going to hate you at times. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you at times. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what does that look like in our life? Well, it's right here. The best is always yet to come because there's always more of knowing God and becoming like Christ, which are what make life better so that even in the fiercest storms of life, we do not crash, but we are a house that is not only surviving, but thriving in the midst of the storm. That's the hope that we're going after. So how do we get there? We've already read it. I want to break it down. As my wife and I were praying on this message together, just a couple words came to mind that were, in a sense, a fresh look on this action call to response that Jesus gives us, where he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the one who, like the, is the wise man who builds their house on the rock. So there's three aspects there. And we just felt like God put some, some heat on some words that are a right now in this moment healthy challenge for us as a community that we believe carries the, the antidote to ever becoming bored or stagnant in our walk with God. It's right here in the words of Jesus, and we're just, in a sense, meditating on them, exploring them, reflecting on them in ways that help the awesome truth of what Jesus has said hit us right where we're at. And so the words we want to dive into today, biblical words, <laughs> vision, vulnerability, and victory. We were talking, it just felt like the Lord was like, oh man, these are, these are some exact ways to just remember this altar call of Jesus, where he says, anyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. They're the ones who are walking into the abundant life. They're the ones building their house on the rock, where you're thriving in the midst of any storm. So in a sense, these are like three elements of Jesus's altar call to action. So vision. What do we mean by that? Well, it's right out of where Jesus says, the one who hears these words of mine. So he's hearing the words of Jesus. We want to hear 
his words, not ours, in life. He is the one we want to be the authoritative source of truth, of wisdom, of teaching. That's the whole Sermon on the Mount that Jesus wants to call us to respond to. His words of life, his worldview, his teachings, his wisdom, straight from the heart of the Father. Like he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is sharing the heart of God, the kingdom of God. As it is already in heaven, so also on earth. Every time Jesus speaks, that's what's happening. And so we, as disciples, we want our minds to be renewed. We want our worldview to be shaped and reshaped by his words, his thoughts, his perspective, his wisdom, his truth, not ours, and not anyone else's in the world if it's not first submitted unto Jesus. We want, therefore, also the direction of each and every next step in life that we take to be from his vision. We only want to do in our life what we see God doing next. And this is where, as Don and I were praying on it, we felt like there's a prophetic element to this vision. It's prophetic vision. That's how vision in the Bible works. Vision in the Bible is not simply you see with your eyes. Physically, you see with your spiritual eyes. That's why Jesus prays in another place. Give them eyes to see, ears to hear. He's not talking about physical blindness or physical deafness. He's talking about that we would have prophetic vision. We would see what God is doing and renew our minds with that, partner up with that, say yes to that. And so we really believe that there's this vision that Jesus wants for us is a prophetic vision that has an edge on it that keeps us from stagnation and boredom because it's propelling us forward into the next adventurous step that God has in our life. So it's not just knowing about Jesus' vision, it's knowing Jesus' vision. Just like it's not about knowing about God, more information, it's about knowing God. So what I'm trying to get at here is when we look at our life and we're followers of Jesus and we're asking the question, what's next? Which should be a question we're regularly asking as followers of Jesus. What's next, God? What do you have for me next? And this is where it's a combination of the truth of God's word and the heat of the Holy Spirit so that when it hits you, it's a spirit-filled invitation, prophetic vision. This is what God is inviting you into in your life next. So it's not just man, it's not, certainly not man-made ideas. It's not man-made wisdom. It's not man-made vision. And it's even not like a, oh, I've got the Sermon on the Mount memorized. I know 
everything that Jesus said to do in every ethical situation of life, which if you have it memorized and you know it really well, you know the truth. But I would say in a biblical picture, no, you know about the truth. When we walk into a situation in life, we need that prophetic vision of the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I want you to do right now in response to this situation. That's where God takes us from the current status quo and he catapults us forward into more of his kingdom. Let me back up for a moment into the Old Testament. There's a very famous proverb that says, without vision, people perish. My wife's done a, like half of her message a couple months ago was, was on that, and it's a fantastic study into the reality that the King James, which is famous, is not a good translation because really the healthy sense, the, a much more accurate translation is something like where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Like if you don't have something to focus you, you just kind of aim at nothing and go crazy. But if you've got a hopeful, joyful vision of the future, you lock in is the idea. But I want to focus this morning on that word vision is exactly what we're talking about this morning. When Jesus says, do you hear these words of mine? It's not about can you quote the Bible verse. It's about are you allowing your heart to be transformed with a fresh prophetic vision of God. So this word vision in Proverbs 29, 18 is the word hazon, the Hebrew word. It's used all over the place in the Old Testament, a common word that specifically means prophetic vision, a word of revelation from God, a supernatural experience that imparts God's message to the listener. In contrast, meaning it's not simply good ideas. It's not man-made wisdom. And that's where, that's why we would call it a prophetic edge. Because we don't want to now go into the rest of our life and just apply the Sermon on the Mount in, with man-made wisdom and man-made goals or man-made ideas or man-made timing. We want to live in that prophetic edge of it's the truth of God's word and the Spirit's blowing on it right now to say this is a message from God. This is God's heart as the next step you want to take in your life. It's an invitation from Jesus saying, this is the heart of heaven for you. Are you going to grab onto it? It's living. It's active. It's not just principles where we try to wisely apply them on our own. Every single word that proceeds out of the mouth of Jesus is spirit and life. It's prophetic vision. It's hot with the Holy Spirit. 
And so it's that prophetic vision of the Old Testament sense of it's not just man-made ideas. It's living, active. It's infused with the Holy Spirit of God saying, here, here's an invitation to live into a whole new way of life. And so when we're putting this into practice in our everyday life, the idea is that as followers of Jesus, we want to hunger for that prophetic vision, meaning that, that next, that hot edge of where is the Holy Spirit at work inviting you to, and saying to you, this is what I have next for you on the adventure of following Jesus. The idea is that if we're actually following Jesus and hearing his words, actually hearing his words, then our, our life will never be boring and stagnant. There is always more. There is always more of this Sermon on the Mount, prophetic vision, visionary manifesto for the abundant life that's possible of the kingdom of God reigning in you and through you. There is always more of that. And if we ever get to the place where we don't have this childlike, humble hunger to recognize there's so much more, then we've lost our identity as a disciple. The awesome reality of being a disciple is that there's always more. There's always more to, of knowing Jesus. There's always more of becoming like Jesus. And it comes right from right here in this vision for life. It's this prophetic vision. So let's put it into practice in the small groups, let's, let's say. Let's say you're feeling a little bored and stagnant. That's okay, because we all will at times, but here it is. So it's the question of, God, what's that kind of prophetic edge of what you have for me next? Because there's always something until I am perfectly like Jesus. Does anybody feel that that should be exciting? Like that there should never be like the, oh, I'm just hanging out in a small group, going through the motions. What's Jesus doing in your life? How's, how are you? How are you? Oh, same old, same old. What? The God of the universe is calling you to know him more and become like his perfect son. There is no same old, same old. So get excited about that prophetic edge of it's there's never a same old same old it's about hear these words of mine hear them until you become perfectly like me there's more for you to hear there's more for you to see there's always something that is God's will that he wants to do in you and through you and that should just get us excited that I might not be feeling it right now but I know there's a prophetic edge where God wants to take me into the next adventurous step of following him that's going to help me know him more and become like him more. Wow, what is that, God? What is it? You ask him. You ask him in community. You ask people to pray for you. 
there's always more. And the second piece of it is Jesus says, and then you put it into practice. You have to do something with it. The James, book of James says, you know, let's not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Like getting that prophetic vision of what God is doing next is just half the battle. And he already won it. And you saw it. Ask, seek, knock. You're listening. You hear it. But then you have to do. You have to put it into practice. But I want to close this Sermon on the Mount with making something very, very clear. We do not take the prophetic vision of the Lord his next step, his invitation, his calling, his, hey, here's that exciting next way. I'm going to transform you to be more like me. And then basically go, cool, thanks. I got it from here. I'll put it into practice. Nope. You go back to the first line of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want all of heaven in your life? Never say, thanks, God, I'll take it from here. Which we all do. Almost every time. <laughs> That's why the first line in the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most important one for us to hear when we're looking at responding and acting. This is the, the heart posture that literally opens heaven to us. So it's kind of important since that's the whole point. Poor in spirit. What does that look like? That's where as Don and I were praying, this word emerged, vulnerability. And it's so interesting because it's the opposite of when you think of, oh, put it into practice. You start thinking of like, oh, this is what I have to do. And it is. There's action steps. We've seen that throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. But here's the idea. Every single action step you take is meant to be taken poor in spirit. In weakness. Poor in spirit. The word poor is the poverty you lack. You have nothing to give. So it's crazy because Jesus is saying, put it into practice. But he also said, and you have nothing to give. And when you put those two together... He's like, exactly. Now the kingdom of heaven is going to pour out. To make it simple, the apostle Paul said it later. Whereas he was struggling, trying to put everything in practice in his own strength. And what did God say? No, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in you, in your weakness. So Paul went on to say, so I love weakness. I love not having it all together. I am vulnerable about the fact that I am weak on my own. And then he goes on to say, because when I am weak, then I am strong. That is the application of put it into practice by being poor in spirit. So you get the vision and you say, okay, yeah, I want this vision and I'm going to take the action steps and the the. The foundation, the buttressing, the heart posture, the rootedness, the whole action step. I'm feeling something that the words aren't <laughs> coming. It's all built on, full of, flowing from being poor in spirit. 
And so to put that into practice, I mean, to let's make it very practical, back into community, vulnerability is the mark of maturity. Vulnerability is the mark of you're following Jesus. It's the very first thing he said in the Sermon on the Mount. For a reason, it is what unlocks heaven. So when you have, let's say, you're seeking the Lord for that adventurous next step of where he wants to grow you and challenge you and transform you to be more like him and to know him more, and you hear that prophetic vision, and you're going to put it into practice, and you know what you need to do, and your honest first response should be, and I know I can't do it on my own strength. I am poor in spirit. I lack what it takes to make it happen. And Jesus says, you're in the right place. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. All of heaven can be yours with that heart posture. So why would we ever want to get away from that heart posture? Paul goes on to say in there, he's like, I, so I boast of my weaknesses. I said, I don't have it all together. I'm a mess. Vulnerability before God and one another is poor in spirit. It is the access point of the power of heaven. You want to be able to put into practice all these things that Jesus talks about? Poor in spirit is the access point to God's power so that you can put it into practice. And so vulnerability, following the vision, is so key if you want to see the victory of the kingdom of heaven in your life. And so quite against culture and against pride and against the message of the enemy, vulnerability needs to be one of the number one traits of the followers of Jesus where we're just willing to say, I'm struggling here. Would you pray for me here? I have, I'm scared about this. This causes fear. I'm hurt in this area. I need help in this area. I can't do it in this area. And it's literally Jesus saying to us, when we make those kind of confessions to one another, that's when heaven is ours. So you could conversely say, if you don't make those confessions before God and one another, the power of heaven is not with you. If you're not poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is not yours. Vision, vulnerability, leads to victory. And that's where there is awesome, fantastic hope that the best is yet to come. And Jesus' altar call includes in it the picture of victory. 
has the vision that we talked about to hear these words of mine. It has the put it into practice, which based on everything else he's said is a call to vulnerability. And then he paints the picture that victory will be yours. You will, like a wise man who built his house on a rock when the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, it did not fall. That's a picture of victory. That you will still have troubles in this life. The storms are coming. The storms are even raging. But your victory is that you have built an abundant life on the rock of Jesus Christ. So you will not crash. You will thrive. And that is the ultimate kingdom victory that we know God in such a way. We've been transformed to be more like Jesus in such a way that even in the storms of life, or excuse me, even in the midst of the storms of life, to such a degree that we are no longer dictated by the circumstances of life. But it's in the midst of the storms of life we're thriving. Because what the storms of life can never take away is knowing God. That is the ultimate kingdom victory. So together we can declare that the best is yet to come. There's always more of him to know. There's always more to become like him. There's always more of our life to build on the rock. And therefore, as we continue to follow Jesus with his vision, that vulnerability our victory is sealed in the one who overcame the power of the world. So we step on, one step at a time of following Jesus. Right where you're at, it's just that next step. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the abundant life of knowing you and being transformed to be more like you so that we can be victorious in the midst of whatever storms come our way. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you thanks. We give you praise because it's all real. All of it is real. I know that there are many in this room that testify in their innermost being that your abundant life is real. You are victorious over sin and death and the world. Through your cross, through your death, your resurrection, we have partaken of your resurrection abundant life. And we say thank you and praise you and we love you, but we know there is more. We want to ask, seek, and knock for the rest of our days for that more. We pray you would instill in us that holy hunger of hopeful excitement that there's always more, that the heart of God for us is that there's more of his kingdom to be experienced. There is more of him to know, more transforming of our life to be like him. 
So I pray you would put in us that holy excitement that we've never hit the end. We've, we don't ever feel like we need to hit the wall or the status quo or get stagnant or get bored. May those be just moments, moments where then we ask, seek, and knock and we hear your words of life about the next step on the journey. And Lord, we also then pray as we hear those next steps that you would give us, bless us with the poor in spirit, raw vulnerability that like the Apostle Paul is willing to get to that place where he says he wants to boast in his weaknesses. We pray for a freedom from the lies of the enemy and the pride of this world that, that wants that we try to protect ourselves and protect our image and our reputation and our identity. So there's times where we're not vulnerable and honest and raw about the poverty of spirit that is truly ours. Help us embrace that with boldness so that we can also embrace what Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong through your powerful presence with us. Help us be people of this vision and vulnerability. And in it all, we know and declare and trust and hope we will walk in more and more of your kingdom victory. Let's take a quiet minute just between you and the Lord right now. Join me in this prayer and respond to God accordingly. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me about my life right now? So to whatever you heard, that is the vision we're talking about. That's that prophetic edge of what is next in the vision of seeing God's kingdom in your life. So the next step is, are you going to be vulnerable? Do you feel vulnerable? Do you own it? Do you cast yourself on, in dependence upon God? And a great way to know it is, are you willing to tell someone else about it and ask them to pray for you and pray with you? So there's your challenge for this week. Have fun. In Jesus' name, amen.
singing new songs.